theyeshiva.net. If anybody didn't get a source sheet, there's more. Okay, you could come get it by the bimah. Ich will uplearn Meret of English, not of Yiddish. Of English. 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 Kireyach Mikano Mikan, yeah? The Rakachove once said about somebody as an Amaoritz in Ganshas. Okay. I want to learn with you tonight Ashtikal Svasemis. As they say in Yiddish, Uplen and Ashtikal Svasemis. It's short, it's brief, and it's cryptic. It's challenging to understand. But it contains within itself priceless gems for the Seder and for the Yom Tov Pesach Haba Aleinu L'Tayva V'Livracha. It's a shtikl svasemes, Pesach Tofresh Lamedalet. Tofresh Lamedalet in English would be 1874, right? 1874. Svasemes passed away on Shvat, Hey Shvat Tofresh Samach Hey, 1905. He was still a young man at the time, just one decade, a little more than after the passing of his fa- of his Zayda, the Chidushi Harim, Rabbi Shemeir of Ger, whom he succeeded as a grandson. And this is a shtikl from Tofresh Lamedalit on the on the words of the Haggadah, Keneged Arba Bonim Dibritayra. Let's give background before we read it inside. The Haggadah famously says, right in the opening of the Haggadah, Keneged Arba comes from the Mechilta, Keneged Arba Bonim Dibritayra, Echad Chachem, Echad Roshav, Echatam, Echad Sheni Yedei Elisha. Torah speaks about four children, four different types of sons. The wise, the rebellious, the wholesome or innocent or simpleton, and the one who does not ask. Where did the Chazal, where did the Mechilta and the Haggadah come up with this idea? Keneged Arba, Bonim Dibre Torah, from where? The issue is that four times in Chumash does Moshe Rabbeinu speak about communicating to your children the concept of Jewish history in Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. Four different times in four different psukim. And at the surface it seems completely redundant. Hence Chazal deduced it's four different children. Three times in Parshas Boy, one time in Parshas Vascham. In Parshas Boy, right after Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people, Perik Yudbeis Posek Chavav Boy, Vahoyo Ki Yoimru Aleichem Bnechem Ma Avoida Azoislechem. When your children will say to you, "What is this avoida? What is this service that you're doing?" Vamartim, you should tell them, "Zevach Pesachul Hashem." It's an offering that we're bringing because Hashem leaped over our homes. One pasuk. This Moshe still says in Mitzrayim. Later in the parsha, the same parsha's boy, Moshe says a new pasuk. Perik Perik Yud Gimel pasuk Ches Vigada Talavincha Bayoyma Uleima Bavurza Asa Hashem Libetzesim Mitzrayim. That day you should relate to your child that because of this, Hashem performed all of these miracles to take me out of Mitzrayim. Bavurza, what's the Bavurza? Bavurza, the matzah, the eating the matzah, the eating the maror. 
And then a few psukim later, right at the end of the parsha, when your child will tomorrow ask you what's all this, and if this is not enough, in Parshas Vaschanan, 40 years later, Moshe Rabbeinu says, as your child will ask you, what are all these laws and statues of the Rebbeinah? So Chazala perplexed, why four different psukim? And hence they understood that each Pasuk is talking about a different type of child. So it's fascinating. The first Pasuk, that they put into the mouth of the Russia. That's the first Pasuk. This they see is the Russia speaking. The second Pasuk, where there's no mention of a child bringing up an issue. There's no question. So this they put into the mouth of who? Of Shani Delish, so the person doesn't know what to ask. The third time the Pasik is mentioned, at the end of Bay, this they put into the mouth of the Tam. They see this as an expression of the Tam's question. And in Parshas Vaschan, the last time, when Moshe says, this they see as the conversation with. The Ben Chachem with the Chachem. So actually the first son in the Haggadah is the last son in Chumash. And the first one in the Chumash is the Rasha in the Haggadah. And the second one is the Tam. And the third one is the Sheni Yedei And the Chachem is the last according to the structure of Chumash Chumash So this year when you say We have to understand what this means. Not Stam They took these four Pesukim and they understood that it's four Bonim. So everybody asks the question, where did they come up with this distinction? They had to see in the Psukim a connection. Is the same words like Why is one guy a Russia and one guy a Chachem? They're both saying the same thing. He says Lachem, he says Eschem. They're both saying you. The Russian, we say, he's the worst of the worst, because he says, the Chachem said exactly the same thing. He didn't say, Hashem commanded us, Hashem commanded you, but he's a Chachem. The Russian says, or blunt his teeth. Okay, so that's one interesting point. The Meshachachma, the Meshachachma the Arsameh, makes a very famous observation, fascinating observation, and he says it lay in the difference of one word. In the first Pasuk it says, In the last Pasuk it says, There is a difference between making a statement and asking a question. Asking a question means you're curious. I want to know. I want to understand. Explain it to me. Making a statement, I'm not seeking to understand. To the contrary, my questions are only here in order to rationalize my statements that are absolute. In other words, these are my statements. My questions are simply there to reinforce my statements. They tell a mice about her business, Alman Meltzer. The Baal Evan Azel, who was Rosh Hashiv in Slutsk, and then later Rosh Hashiv of Eitz Chaim in Yerushalayim, he passed away in Tovshin Yudal in 1953. 
Mr. Zalman Meltzer had a Talmud. And the student asked him, as a youngster, he asked him a lot of shyless questions in Yiddishkeit. And the Bissazama did not answer him. As I would say, he didn't answer. And this child ultimately left Yeshiva and he abandoned Yiddishkeit. And then years later, Mamish decades later, Rabbi Sazalman met the Talmud once again. And he came and he's been through life, he's been around the block. It wasn't as sweet as he imagined it to be. And they sat down on a bench to speak. And Rabbi Sazalman said, You know, I would like to answer the questions that you asked me in Yeshiva. So he said, Rebbe, I don't understand. If you had all of these answers, why didn't you share with me these answers a few decades ago when I came over to you to ask you the question? So he said in the classic Lithuanian definition, he said, Meaning, there are two types of questions. There are questions because I want to know, and there are questions because I don't want to know. There are questions because I am, I am determined to prove you wrong, because I don't want to hear anything else. So any answer you'll give me, I'll find another question. I'm not searching. I'm not searching for truth. I'm searching for making myself feel better, for justifying my gluttonous or narcissistic or addictive behaviors. So anything you'll answer me, my sophisticated, clever mind will come up with another question, another question. If you're asking a question, I can give you an answer. If you're telling me answers, how can I answer an answer? Says the Meshachachma. In the first Pasuk it says, In the last Pasuk it says, In one he's speaking, he's making a statement, in one he's asking a question. Okay, so this is as far as the Meshachachma's observation. But now before we get here into the text, let's focus on these words. Interesting expression. The Mechilta, the Haggadah, doesn't say, it's four psukim, it's four bonim. Those few words, five words about four people, contain perhaps volumes about chinuch, pedagogy, education. There's four statements that Chazal are conveying in that brief sentence. The first statement is, there's our Ba'abonim. There's no one child. There are different types of children. Never make the mistake that one cookie cutter model encompasses all children. There's our Ba'abonim. And of course, these are Ba'abonim are prototypes, which have then, Tuldoi Sayin, Vetuldos Teldoi Sayin, or if you want, in Yevamis Tzadoi Sayin, Vetzadis Tzadoi Sayin, or Depends if you're learning Shabbos or you're learning Yavamas. <laughs> or depends what type of children you're dealing with. But there's no one child. There's Abba Bonim. That's number one. Statement number two. Keneged Arba Bonim. They're all your children. Never look at one of these characters and write them off, reject them. They may be minakotze, lakotze, from one extreme to another extreme. But they're all your children. 
They all belong to you. They're all part of your flesh and blood. Arba! But they're all bonin. Each and every one of them. Statement number three. Keneged arba bonim dibra Torah. Torah has something to say to each one of these four children. And if I don't understand or believe that Torah has something to communicate to each one of these four children, then I'm not a loyal student of Torah. If I really believe that one of these children is an outcast, and he or she has no relationship to Torah, they're out of the pale. Torah can't speak to them. Torah can't inspire them. Torah can't uplift them. Torah can't invigorate them. Torah can't give them joy, happiness, serenity, tranquility, wholesomeness. Then, I'm not in touch with Torah. And number four, the conversation in Torah with each one is a different one. It's not the same thing. Dibra Torah to one ben is not the Dibra Torah to another ben. So, Kenegeda Ba Banim Dibra Torah conveys four Yisaitis. There's not one child, there are four. All of them, however, are children, even if they're from one extreme to another extreme. Torah speaks to each and every one of them. Every one of them is addressed according to who they are, not according to who I think or want them to be. And finally, the conversation with each one is different. You know, they say the anecdote that there, was, uh, there were twins, Yankel and Schmetel, and they were historic troublemakers. And their mother could not deal with them anymore. And once a big Rav came to the shtetl, so she decided she's going to take these kids to this Rav, maybe he can do something. So first she takes Yankel into the Rav, and she tells him the issue, and she leaves the room. The Rav turns to Yankel, and he says, Yankel, Zagme, who is God? Tell me, where is Hashem? He doesn't say a word. The Rav says, tell me, where is the Rebbeinah Shalaylam? Where is he? Doesn't say a word. Gets a little annoyed. Tell me right now, who is the Rebbeinah Where is Hashem? Silence. Zagme, come on, who is the Rebbeinah Picks himself up, runs out of the room. Runs home. Runs into the door, he's out of breath. Sees Shmetel. Says, come here. They lock themselves up in a room. Says, Shmetel, you won't believe what happened now. God is missing, and they think that we did it. <laughs> so you know, communication. I think I'm communicating with my child. What he hears and what I'm saying have nothing to do with each other. Because I don't understand that Kenegadar Bonim I'm saying one thing and she's hearing something else. And that's the key in communication. What I say has nothing to do with what people hear. Trust me, I know this from experience. <laughs> I'm surprised when it actually, the two match. And this is certainly true when you're dealing with a sensitive situation. Once you understand this, you saw it, you could begin to build a mahalach in which you could see the dibritayra. And these are the four psukim, chazal saw in each posik a conversation with a different type of person. Now, after this basic background, let's get to the Svasamas. Neged Arba Shal 
The four children, I think, correspond the four languages of redemption, the beginning of Parshas Ve'era. We all know the Chiddush is that you could be redeemed from all four types of exiles. And these are the four children. The four children represent the four exiles. Here is his key word. These questions asked by the four children, including the one who doesn't ask, exist in each Jew. In other words, when you say Echad Chacham, Echad Rasha, Echad Tam, Echad Sheni Yedelishal, you're not talking about four people. You're talking about the same person. Echad. This explains the Echad. So there's Albemensh. The same guy is a Chacham, Rasha, Tam, Sheni Yedelishal. Ask your wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> they say there was once a Maisa, there was a Yid from Chelem. There was a Yid from Chelem. And he decided to go see the big city. So where do you go? You go to Vilna, right? You're Shalayim Delitta. So he goes to Vilna, he comes back to Chelem, they say, Nu He says, unbelievable, I went into Shul, and you know what I met there? I met Azoy. I met a capitalist, I met a socialist, I met a communist, I met a Zionist, I met an atheist, I met an agnostic, I met a Maimon, I met a Talmud Chachim, I met an Amaretz, I met a Kaifa Beker, a Mumala Hachis, a Mumala Tayovin. Unbelievable who you meet there. Right wing, left wing, centrist, almost left, a little left, far right, fundamentalist, extra fundamentalist. So the Yid looks at him and he says, I don't understand. In Chelem we also have all these types of people. What's the big deal? He says, no, it was all the same Jew. (laughs) It depends on the day, you know, depends who you're talking to. So the Svasemis says... Every child has all four, and every person has all four. So you're not only speaking to four children around the table, you're speaking to four parts of your personality. Talk about schizophrenia. They say, what's the definition of chutzpah? You come to your therapist because you have a split personality, and then you want a group discount. So the type of group discount you have is you're not coming with a split personality. You come with a personality that's divided into four sections. Chachem, Rosh, Tam, Sheni, That's what he says. Bechol, Ish, Yisrael. Of course, Ein Mikra, Yotzim, Pshutai, that we're talking about four children. But he means the four children exist in every person. Every person is a child. He starts with the Chachem. What's the issue of the Chachem? Mitzad, Mitzad, Chkiris Haseichel, Shaideza Yetzahara Maharer Acher Achokim. The first question is raised by the Chachem, whom we're going to define as the intellectual, as the scientist, as the curious human being, the curious child. And his question comes, Mitzad Chkiris Haseichel. The chkira, the philosophy, the inquisitiveness of the human rationale, the human mind. And as a result of that, he begins to question Moha'edus, Vahachukim, Vahamishpotim. Svasema sees the emphasis on the fact that there are Edus, but there are Chukim and there are Mishpotim. And this bothers him. What bothers him? So now we have to figure it out on our own. What bothers the Ben Chachim is. I don't have an issue, very few people have an issue with the commandments, with the mitzvahs in Yiddishkeit that tell you 
loy sitzach, loy sinov, loy signov, midvar shekatirchak, etc. The benadam lachaveira, the ethics, the midois, civil rights of a healthy, productive, moral society that everybody can appreciate. Very few people will tell you that they have something deeply against the idea that you should give charity to the poor, you should help the homeless, you should dress the naked, and you shouldn't steal somebody else's property, you steal somebody else's spouse. What bothers this Chachem is, What's the value, what's the significance? What type of Judaism should I be inspired about when so much of it doesn't have any ethical connotation, any ethical ramifications that deal with human life. Everyone understands the need to be ethical and morality, moral, or in the words of Hillel, Shabbos, Daflamad Aleph, Madalach, Sani, Lechavrech, Loi, Savit, you just like to be done to you, don't do it to anybody else, as they call it, the golden rule. But that's why I shouldn't mix wool and linen. That's why I have to wait six hours after the chont and I can't have ice cream at Soy Shabbos. That's why I have to wrap straps on my arm and put mezuzahs on my door. And that's why on Shabbos I can't open a light or drive a car. Especially the chukim perturbim, or the edus. This is his question. What's the answer to him? The answer prepared in the human heart, speaking to himself, is Kilasis Ritsoin Hashem Yisbarich, Yeshmize Yoisir Tam Vesimcha, Mehavonas Tam HaMitzvah, Vize Ein Maftirin Acherapesach Afikoyman, Shetam Mitzvah Shal Matzah Avsha Ein Boy Tam Mosukla Yoisim Imatam. Svasemis here is addressing the question that perturbs most Mefarshim of the Haggadah. The Chachim says, what are all these laws that the Rebbeinu Shalom commanded you? The answer the Haggadah gives is not the answer the Chumash gives. It's a different answer. What's the answer the Haggadah gives? Which halacha? After you eat the carbon Pesach, don't bring out the dessert. Afikoiman means afiku man, as the Rashbam says in Arve, the end of Pesachim, the tenth Arve Pesachim. Bring out the food, man, as Mezoinus, food, man. Afiku, man, bring out the dessert. Kinuach, su'uda, the appetizers, what we eat at the end of the meal. Eim maftirin, once you finish eating the Pesach, you want the taste of the Pesach to linger in our mouth. You don't bring out dessert afterwards. Today, we don't have a current Pesach. What do we eat instead of the current Pesach? We have the Afikoim and the last matzah that we eat at the end of the meal before we bench the last kazayas or two. Is Zechel a Pesach? So, after you eat the Zechel of Pesach, the Afikoyman, don't bring out any other food. We don't eat afterwards. What's the answer to this question? The Chachem asked, So you tell him, after the Afikoyman, there's no more dessert. Okay, thank you. Allah Mutchenzich, everyone Mutchenzich. What does Prat Samafarshim say? It means Afat Emelik Hilchis Apesach. Tell them all of the halachas till you get to the end of the Seder. It's not the Pshat, but when you read it, straightforward. Svasemis here teaches what we're telling this, this child within us. This person is asking, I don't get a feel, I don't have a geschmack for all of these components of Judaism, especially the Chukim 
which are not rational. They don't speak to my mind, they don't speak to my heart, they don't speak to my reason, and I absolutely see no significant in the value of, in the, no value in not eating cheeseburgers, or in fasting for 24 hours on Yom Kippur, or not missing a word of Megillah on Purim, etc. Whether it goes into Edis or Chukim, etc. versus Mishpatim, the famous Ramban, there's three types of mitzvahs, you all know, the rational ones, Mishpatim, testimonial ones like Shabbos, Pesach, Yom Tevim, Tefillin is Edis, and like Paraduma, Shatnas, the Chukim, are, uh, are uh, super rational, beyond Seich. What's the answer? Eid Maftir Nachira Pesach So what's this Fasema saying? He says that to do the Ratzon of Hashem has more Tam and Simcha than even understanding. And that's Ein Maftir, and that the Tam, Mitzvah of Matzah, even though it has no Tam, is sweeter than Matam, and it's sweeter than dessert. What is he saying? We all know that Matzah is bland. Matzah Ein by Tam. What does he mean, Matzah? Of course, Matzah has a Tam. It has a Tam of Matzah. But matzah is a bland food. It's not a, it's like a shmaka meichel. And even though the sister by Jews in the middle of the Seder is, when they're eating, they say, ah, the matzah this year is delicious. But you all know that you don't know what you're talking about. Varaya, I still never saw a mitzvah that at the shmogas board, right near the sushi, you're serving matzah. And I never saw a chasin there where the main dish is matzah. The matzah was so delicious during the Seder, why don't you eat matzah a whole year? Elamai, but makim shein ish is a herring oich fish, but makim shein pizza is matzah oich delicious. So middle of the seder, the matzah becomes delicious. But matzah ain't by tam, it's bland. Famous some soifer in, in Parshas Boy about the difference of Pesach, matzah, mara. Pesach was delicious, mara was bitter, and matzah is a bland taste. It doesn't have a pizah, a delightful, a delightful taste. Kol sa'ir, there's no yeast, there's no inflation, etc. Ein maftirin achir ha-pesach you finish the Seder with the matzah, the afikoyman, and you don't bring matamim, you don't bring no dessert, no cakes, not even kasher Pesach macaroons, no ice cream, not even kasher Pesach ice cream, no Viennese table, besides in the hotels. And therefore, you remain with this taste lingering in your mouth. What does this represent? What it represents is that when you understand what the matzah is, then it's masukla yoisimimatamen. Then it's sweeter than the most delicious, exquisite, gourmet, lovely piece of food. Why? Because when you understand it's a tam mitzvah shalmatza afsha inbaitam masukla yoisimimatamen. What's the havana of these words? The first answer to the chacham, the first question that bothers the Jew in his relationship with Yiddishkeit is. I have no geschmack in this. All these chukim, it just doesn't speak to my heart. Doesn't, what's the value of it? Explain to me. So you have to tell him the din of Ein Maftir Nachira Pesach What are you answering this person? What you're explaining to this person, to yourself, to this chachim in you is that it's exactly to the contrary. Because you're dealing with Hashem, who is the ultimate truth and source of existence, the fact that you cannot wrap your brains around Him and fully understand what He is and what His will is, doesn't make His will less relevant. It makes it far more relevant. Because do you really expect to understand ultimate truth? If you would put a two-year-old child 
in a physics class of Professor Albert Einstein, and your two-year-old boy will come out of the class and say, Tati, that was so stupid, and it was so boring, and the guy has nothing to say. So nobody would be surprised that a two-year-old cannot understand a class of nuclear physics, or any type of physics, or theories of relativity. Now this two-year-old, the difference between his brain and Einstein's brain is not infinite. And who knows, with the right pressure of your wife, this two-year-old may become even smarter than Albert Einstein. Especially if the system pressures him enough to the point that he becomes a chvez, the God of Hadar. So and yet, when he's two years old, everyone understands that he's not supposed to understand. So what's the Pella? What's the wonder? That the human brain, which is created by Hashem, so you expect that that human brain should be able to wrap itself around God and be able to assimilate it and say, Ah, I hap, I got it, like the Kotzke Rebbe once said, Agot was fashtein I don't know how to translate that. Huh? I should try. I won't try. But uh, do you really expect that? I mean, imagine even you have an iPhone and the iPhone is created by an engineer. The manufacturer, and you want the iPhone to be able to understand and comprehend the entire personality, even of the person who uses it, and never mind the person who created it. This is the chatoful shabatoful of the person who created it. So you want that the human brain or the human heart or the human personality should say, Ah, I hap it. That which you hap by definition is only a tipa minatipa, it's a trickle of a trickle, a minuscule of a minuscule of ultimate truth. We are created by ultimate truth. So the Sfasem says, actually when you realize that this is Ratzin Hashem, and this gives you an opportunity to connect to Hashem, to transcend all the limitations of your own ego, your own heart, and your own brain, and actually connect to something that's absolutely true, then there's nothing more delicious, there's nothing more exciting, there's nothing more tasteful, than precisely the Chukim, even more than the Mishpatim. Because the mishpatim is that element which I can still comprehend, meaning it's limited according to my identity. The chukim is actually a taste of pure alakus, of pure divinity, of pure godliness. Everything today needs a mashal, so I'll give a mashal. It's maybe not a good, perfect mashal, but it's a mashal. A younger man called me the other day. He was having a crisis in his relationship. What was the crisis? The crisis was that his wife asked him to do something. And he's completely not in the mood. He's completely not in the mood. So he calls me up. He's a Shana Rishonanik. So he, t- he took it, t- takes it very seriously. And uh, he's not in the mood. He doesn't know what to do. He says, she really wants, but I completely have no hergish. No, I don't see why she needs it. So like every Chachem, every Jewish Chachem and Ben Chachem, tries to explain to his wife why she doesn't need it. Right? Explain to your wife why roses are meaningless. And schnitzel is a much better investment <laughs> for Shabbos than roses. Good luck. Good luck. But psulin is for people like you. So next day you're in Besden. So, uh, why roses? It's one of the chukim in Yiddishkeit. It's fine. You don't have to understand. You like Cholentan Kugel? Come to the Thursday night Shia. You want to be married? You buy roses. You want to spend the rest of the life of the Thursday night Shia? You want to stay at Loyal Stay with the Kugel and the Cholent. 
I see nobody prepared roses uh, here tonight. <laughs> so he has a crisis. What should he do? He doesn't. Uh... So I say, first of all, good morning, good morning, America. You think you're the first husband in history that his wife has to do something and you're not in the mood of doing it? He says he doesn't know. I said, listen, it's a gewaldic moment for you. Now you can actually be married. He says, what are you talking about? I said, let me be masbid to you. If your wife asks you to do something and you appreciate what she's asking, your wife says, let's go out to eat. Not milchik's chas v'shalom So you can appreciate what she wants from you then you're not doing something for your spouse. You're doing something that she wants, but you equally want it. You're enthusiastic about it. But now that she asks you to do something that you don't understand, you don't appreciate, you're not enthusiastic about it, you don't feel for it, you actually now have an opportunity to connect to her on her terms, not on your terms. For the first time, you can actually be married. You could go out of your own orbit, of your own metzias, and be there for somebody else on their terms. This is the most important thing in a relationship and a marriage, so you should celebrate the fact that you're not in the mood. If you would be in the mood, I would say, yeah, that's not a good thing. The fact that you're not in the mood, okay, go, now go do it. And this is a very important idea in life. In other words, when I realize of course, lahavdil between a person and Hashem. But when I realize that in these chukim, lay the rots in Hashem, and it's dafke because I don't understand. So I'm actually getting a taste of transcendence. The matzah is bland. It's chukim. There's no taste. Where is there a taste? In Edus and Mishpatim, there's a geshmak. There's a hergish. There's a deher. I get it. I get it. In chukim, there's no taste. What's the value? What's the significance? It's matzah. We say the matzah, because it's matzah shal mitzvah. It's better than all the ice cream in the world, better than all the desserts in the world, better than all the delicacies in the world, and that's why you want that to linger in your mouth, not the regular desserts that come at the end of the meal, because this is the sweetest component in the world. As one speaking to Bachram, so I said, they were having different of these types of questions. I said, I want to ask you a shayla. Somebody, there was, uh, there was a person in the room over there who was, uh, unfortunately he was behind bars for a while. In the same cellar where Yosef HaTzadik was. Not in the same country though. And he didn't end up becoming the prime minister. So, uh, so, uh, so I want to ask you a question. How many people who are in prison, when they finish their sentence and they come out, do you think remain friends with the policemen who put them behind bars, or with the security guards in prison who would watch them and lock them up in their cells and lock up the gates. How many of them do you think maintain a friendship and a relationship with these policemen and security guards? Anybody? And I said, of course not. You get out of there, you hate these people. And the moment you say, Baruch Shabbat you hopefully never look back. I said, now I want to ask you a question. How many soldiers who serve in the army and they have a drill sergeant who mummish torches them day in and day out, how many of them after they leave their army maintain a friendship, a respect, a relationship with their sergeants, with their commanders, with their generals, and they always speak about them with awe and reverence? And they said, many of them. So I want to ask you a question. The drill sergeant, if you know how drill sergeants work, if you salute him the wrong way, it's 350 push-ups. 
If you do something wrong, he can make you run 65 miles and then do another 400 push-ups. What he does to those pure soldiers in training, the schwitzing, the work, the toil, the running, the climbing. And yet, with him, they'll maintain a relationship of awe, reverence, respect, love, affection. At least many of them. Is he so much better than the guards in prison whom you'll never look at? What's the difference? And the difference, of course, is that the policeman and the security guard is trying to limit, repress, imprison the, the, the inmates. The drill sergeant is trying to empower his soldiers. Of course, he's challenging them tremendously. Of course, he's making them do things they don't want to do. They're not in the mood. But his objective, and they know his objective is, to bring out the best in them. When he's done with their training, they are mighty warriors, exceptional athletes. They're perfectly in shape. They can take on any adversary, any enemy. They have a courage and a confidence and a koyach and a sense of camaraderie. All because of what he brought out in them. Of course he challenged them and often the challenge was perhaps filled with agony and pain and misery and they cursed the day they went into the army. But ultimately they know that the kavona is to elevate them to heights that they could have never imagined on their own. The security guard in prison, his only objective is you are a prisoner and I'm going to remind you you're a prisoner and I need you to be obedient, repressed and crushed and remember forever you're in prison. The difference is not in the commands, it's in who says it and how they say it. We speak to our children about Kabbalah's oil malchus shamayim. What does Kabbalah's oil malchus shamayim mean? Accepting the yoke of the kingship of heaven. But I want you to understand that what one child hears in the words Kabbalah's oil is not what a second child hears. One child sees in it. My father, my Rebbe, my teacher, my Rosh Hashiva, my God, my religion, my community are security guards, policemen who want to keep me in a cell. And another one sees it as a sergeant who wants to empower you and allow you to maximize your potentials in the profoundest way. For one person, Kabbalah, Salmah, are dreadful words. And for another person, they're the most delightful and delicious words. For one person, the matzah is bland at best and horrible at worst. And for the other person, ah, I couldn't have a better dessert. What does it have to do with? Perspective. There's no Kabbalah's El Malchus Shemaim taught in a meaningful, healthy, and happy way if the child doesn't first understand that this is Malchus Shemaim of a God who loves you unconditionally and wants you to be the happiest and the best and the most successful and wants to give you the opportunity for the deepest experience in life which is ultimately complete intimacy and dvekas with truth. And when you get that, you have the answer to the first dimension of questions that every Jew, every human being, every Ben Chachem has. What's this whole facet of Judaism that I can't wrap my heart and brain around comfortably? Now comes this Fasemes and introduces us to child number two. And he's going to radically alter the meaning. We say Russia. Who's a Russia? 
wicked son. That's how they do it in the English Haggadahs. Right? The sophisticated uh, teachers today will not say wicked, right? So they'll say, if you'll probably go to h.com or chabad.org, where they have all these English stuff, I don't know how they translate. probably my guess is, you can Google it as I'm talking, my guess is rebellious. Rebellious is a little better than wicked, you know? Rebellious, you take to therapy. Wicked, you give him some medication. Wicked is different. Svasemes doesn't say Russia is not wicked and Russia is not rebellious. <laughs> you know where Russia is? Russia is depressed. You're depressed, son. We each have a part within us that gets depressed. One day or another day, Mevek Tzachuf of the Linkazite, this is what we're going to learn now, the second question. Let's see. Harasha Poyrik Oil Mamish. The Russia doesn't have a problem with chukim. He removes the yoke. So now you're expecting him to say protocol mamish and start telling you that he's a Russia Marusha. But listen why. What's his question? Listen to the question. Can you explain to me what type of nerve do you think that a small, insignificant creature like me or you can actually serve, serve, do something for Hashem? Are you stupid? End of the question. And thus he questions the entire concept of the Hashgochel Yoyna on him or anybody else, as explained in, in Svarim. What is the Svasemes telling us about the Russia? The Russia is speaking from a place of very deep pain, a very deep Morishkhir, a very deep melancholy. What's his issue? His issue is I'm worthless, I'm insignificant. Who do you think you are? Do you think this is called Avodah Hashem? Let's look at ourselves. What are we? We live today. We're gone tomorrow. We're mortal. We're frail. We're weak. We're moody. We're small, narrow people. We live our years. We take it very seriously. But in the big picture, the Russia says, take a spaceship, go outside of the Earth's atmosphere, and you know what planet Earth looks like? You ever played Chinese checkers? It's the size of a marble. Smaller than the size of a marble. It's the size of a tiny speck of dust. I remember when Ilan Ramon, Oliver Shalom, you remember he went in a spacecraft, he took a safe Torah. Tragically, it exploded over Palestine, Texas, one Shabbos morning on the way down. So I was watching an interview with Ilan Ramon when he was in outer space. And they asked and they said, "Nu, no, how does the world, how does the earth look, look from your perspective? And he says, it's fascinating, it's so tiny, it's so insignificant, it's hard to imagine why there's so many wars on that planet. You know, when you take a look at the picture of our planet from outer space, it's a little tiny ball, it's a little tiny marble. And this is from the perspective of outer space. Now imagine from the perspective of the creator of space and outer space. 
So the Rasha says, Ma avoid the hazois lachem. What do you really think you're accomplishing something with your Avaidah? You really think if you believe in God, that the infinite God cares about what you do, what you don't do, what you say, what you don't say, what you do, what you don't do, what you think, what you don't think. The Rosh is coming from a place where he looks in the mirror and he says, I'm insignificant, so let me just have a good time. You really believe in Ashgach al You believe God has nothing better to do than... Balatanya writes in Tanya Perek Mamalov. He says, "Vehine Hashem mitzvah alav umaloi chal aritz kvoidei umabit alav uvoichin kloyus v'leivim oivde karoi." Really, you think that this Rebbeinu Shlom has nothing better to do than have an individual hashgacha scrutinize, dissect, and really care about what I eat, how I eat, where I wake up, when I wake up, what I do, where I go, what I say, what I don't say. Every single individual person, every moment of their life, you're a, it's laughing stock. It's a mockery of God. And therefore, what's the result? He's a pyrical mamish. His precast oil is not because he's tam rebellious. Aftalachis. His precast oil comes with a certain depressing depth. Depressing depth is, you got to be crazy. To really believe that your actions have absolute significance to eternity. It's kaloi chashev, it has no chashivas, it's worthless. That's what the Russia is tiny. And this is a feeling in every single person. Every person has, that's what he said, every person has these moments. Every person sometimes looks at themselves, they say, what is the value of anything I'm doing? What's the value of my life? What's the value of my identity? What's the value of my struggles? What's the value of my battles? Who even cares? I'm a small person, who even knows about me? In fact, some people, some people, their whole life is basically trying to liberate themselves from this feeling of mediocrity, of an inferiority complex. A person once told me that in the morning when he comes into the office, he Googles his name, and he wants to see how many, anybody of you ever did that? How many times your name comes up in Google? How many times do you think Obama's name comes up in Google if you to type in Obama? You never did it. Huh? 540 million. That means there's 540 million mentioned of him in the websites. Okay? So some people are working towards that number. It's one reason why you might want to become the president of the United States of America. And, uh, and, and oh, I mentioned again, okay? As somebody once told a reporter, he said, I don't care what you write about me, just spell my name right. That's the main thing. Publicity ahead, publicity ahead. It's an angst in the humanity. Do I really have any value? Do my actions have any value? So the Rush actually is an enlightened person. He says, stupidity, It's a mockery. It's ridiculous. What do you think? God is a little baby? An infinite God is worried about a little speck of dust? It's like you would tell me that your whole life, you're obsessed in the, the backyard of your home here in Muncie, your one acre home, there's an ant, a little ant, and your whole life, the next 90 years, all you do is examine what that ant does. And you tell the ant, listen, if you make a right, you're going to go to Ganeidin. If you make a left, you're going to go to Gehenna. And I'm telling you, if you open your mouth once more, it's going to be Shiva Maduri Gehenna. If you don't go on this, and your whole life you're obsessed with that ant, get a life. <laughs> and that's an ant. And the distance between a human and an ant is not that large. Even if you don't believe in evolution. 
So the Rosh says, Who do you think you are? What are you doing? Avoid you doing something for God? Here is what we tell the Russia. What we tell the Russia is something very deep. What do we say? Right? We'll explain that in a moment. What's Bavurze? So the Svasemis teaches Bavurze is your very question, that is your answer. Bavurze Asa Hashem Li. Pirush, Al Yidei Shu Bosa Vedam, Vein Loi Seichel Koroi, Choshuv Lefonov Yisborech Avoidosenu Yosemim Alachayalia. End of answer. Bavurzeh, that is exactly the whole significance of Bria Sa'olam, the whole essence of Yiddishkeit. Bavurzeh, this exact issue that you have, that your mind is so small, that your existence is so limited, because of this very dynamic, this is what gives your avoidance so much chshivas to the Rebbeinu Shalom, even more than the angels. Now, Sfasemis doesn't elaborate as he doesn't in any of these. I'm going to try to elaborate and explain the way I understand the Sfasemis. Based on what's explained by Riches in the Svarim of the Balatanya, which the Sfasemis is based a lot on the Svarim. Before the creation of the world was Einoid Movadai. There was nothing but the Rebbeinu Shalaylam. There was nothing but the reality of Elikus, of godly energy, of godliness, the Emes of godliness. Why would a perfect, impeccable, flawless God create a world? What need was there for Him to create a world? There was absolutely no need. If you're perfect, you have no needs. We create things because we have needs. But if you're flawless and perfect, you have absolutely no needs. So what was the kavana of Bria Sa'ilam? This is a Shaila Yeshana from the beginning of history. Why did the Rebbein Yishalem create the world? And everybody from Reb Sadi gone to the Rambam, to the Ral Bag, to the Reb Yosef Alboy, to the Abar Benel, that's the philosophers. And of course the Chachme HaKabola, and all of the Jewish thinkers, the Chachme Anista, the Chachme, everyone dealt with this question, the Middle Ages and on. And one of the great ideas the Svasemis is conveying right here, and that is, precisely because the human being doesn't have the chashivus, which the Russia is so depressed about. That is precisely the value. This gives you your chashivus. What's pshat? The Medrash Rabbah says in Parshas Nosoy, that that the purpose of creation was that Hashem wanted to have a dira, a home, where? Tachtoinim means in the lowest elements of reality, which is basically our world, Olam Haza Hagashmi Vahumri, Sha'in Tachtan Lamata Bemeno, the lowest world. It's here where he wanted to be present, where he wanted to have a home betachtoinim. So you're coming and tining and saying, I'm so small, I'm so dirty, I'm so limited, I'm so valueless. What Hashivas does my Avoida have? So we tell Bavurzeh. It's precisely that you're such a tachtain, 
that the whole Tachlis Habriya was that the Rebbeinah Shlalem wanted that the light of the Elikus should shine in Chayshech. There should be a shabche chashoichel in Ayra. The darkness should be transformed to light. The gashmias should become ruchnias. The lower you are, the dirtier you are, the more finite you are. That's exactly what the whole purpose of creation is about. If the Rebbeinah Shalom was looking for high, lofty, angelic, spiritual souls, it was much better before creation. And certainly he would have been much happier with Olam HaTzilas, Olam Abri, Olam the higher Kabbalistic worlds. The Tachlis was the Reloyes Baruch B'Tachtoin. The person who struggles, the person who's small, the person who fluctuates, the person who has so much dirt and gravel and machshavah zaris and issues and luggage and garbage within him. And that human being becomes an Oivid Hashem, that human being builds a relationship with Hashem. It's precisely those qualities that make you feel that you're so distant that allow you to become so close. I'm going to ask you a question. Last time you were on an airplane, right? So you know the types of kosher meals they serve on airplanes. You all know. The types of meals they serve on kosher airplanes, it's half of a fella. The rice is usually celebrating its bar mitzvah. The green beans, it's bas mitzvah. The chicken is frozen. The meat is not edible. The peas are already mamish after the patira. And yet... Do you see how Jews enthusiastically embrace the kosher meals on an airplane? Check it out. Next time, don't give a Jew his kosher meal. He threatens to sue the airlines. He makes a whole terror around. In the middle of the flight, they should go land and check. Maybe there's a kosher meal left so that he could eat. Especially if he's going from here to Asia. So I was once sitting near a Yid and he was, he was mamish going crazy. That he didn't get his kosher meal. So I asked him, I said, I want to ask you a real question. If your wife would serve you this type of meal in the house, what would you do with it? <laughs> would you eat it? He said, no, straight to the garbage. So I said, so Zayman Mazbe, why are you so obsessed with this food here on the airplane? So he said, how do you compare? In my house, I have a refrigerator. I have a pantry. Five minutes from my house, there's four restaurants. Here, I'm suspended 30,000 miles above ground, somewhere on top of the Pacific Ocean. I'm vulnerable, I have nothing. Any little meal, I fill a fahak the green beans and peas that over alayim, kayitz v'chayrif, v'adayin becomes precious. And then I was typhus these words, these words. In the oilam esalyoinim, the Malach Eyalian screaming, Kaddish, Kaddish, Kaddish. There's so much abundance of Kedusha. That's not so chashev by Hashem. But this world, it's like you're stranded on an airplane. There's so little holiness, there's so little purity, there's so little idealism. Episa Abyssal Kedusha, Atrop and Tara, Episa Klein Shekebrach, a little Avoida of a small person. Ah! It's the greatest thing in the world. So you tell the Rasha, Ma Voida Zoislachem, Bavuzeos Hashem Libetzeism. For you, for you, small person with all of your mices and shtick and issues and machshavazoris and struggles and problems, that's where the whole Kavana was. Bacha once came over to me in Yeshivi, he said, Rabbi Jacob, I'm not in the mood of davening today. So I said, First of all, welcome to the club. There's many people not in the mood of davening today. You're not the only Yechidis Gul on the world. Second, I want to tell you, 
Baruch Hashem, you're not in the mood of davening. Now you could daven. He says, what are you talking about? I said, Nisava Kaddish Baruch What's Tadiri B'Tachtoynim? He didn't want to live in a home in the Alps mountain in Switzerland, mountains in Switzerland. He wanted to live in a cesspool. Where do you have a better cesspool in your heart right now? So the fact that your heart is completely alienated and distant from any truth, that makes you the perfect candidate where you could fulfill the purpose of creation. Your, cha- your problem, that is your solution. Your problem, that is your solution. And I think with this we have a Havon in the whole paragraph. Your child is sitting at the Seder, he's 15 years old. He says, Tati, what are we doing? So the God says, first I want you to know, since he said, you were not me, so first of all, let's hang up a sign about it. The second thing, go over to him and punch him in the teeth. A guy asked a question. You want to answer him, answer him. You don't want to answer him, don't answer him. Whoever heard of an answer? Where did they get this? The Pesach had said that? Speak to him. Whoever heard of Hakeyashinov? Somebody asks a question you don't like, you punch his teeth in. I mean, there's certain places that that's the mimic today. But we didn't think that that's Mamash sanctioned in the Haggadah Pesach. But there's really a very profound idea here. The God is telling you something very powerful. This child comes to you and says, Ma Why should... Let's mamish quote the kid. Why should I wake up in the morning? Why, why? Why? I should spend now nine years in yeshiva doing nothing? Why? For what? For what? So I can give you nachas? So I can get a shidduch that you like? <laughs> so I should go to the right yeshiva now to Israel that you're going to approve of? What? What's the point? Why? I want to be on Facebook all day. I want to be on my computer all day. I want to be on my iPhone all day. And then, of course, he says, and how do you know there's a God? So the Haggadah says, relax. He's not a kaifa baker. He doesn't deny God's existence. He doesn't feel part of the klal. So he feels the only way is, he's a kaifa baker. He doesn't feel that he belongs. He doesn't feel that he has a part here. He doesn't feel that he has a place here. He doesn't feel that he has dignity. So he starts questioning everything. So he becomes a kaifa baker. Don't think he's a kaifa baker. He's right for an atheist. Because he takes himself out of the clown. Nobody makes him feel that he really belongs. Nobody embraces his heart. Nobody speaks to him, as they say in Hebrew, means. Nobody speaks to him uh, eye to eye, heart to heart, nobody addresses who he or she really is. 97% of our big atheists, Eichmer atheists, they're atheists. They're atheists because they have to start questioning everything they were taught because they don't like what they were taught, especially if there was abuse, especially if there was molestation, especially if there's a lot of pain, especially if there's a lot of agony, especially if there's no success and no satisfaction. So of course, they'll read a few websites and say, this doesn't make sense, that doesn't, it becomes a kaifabik. No one made him feel part of the cloud. What's the Eitzah? So the Vilna Gaon says, quite a Chesidah Shavart. He says, Shinov, what's Shinov? Shinov means his teeth, right? 
Shin Nun Yud Vav. So he says, what's Pshat? Pshat is Rosh's, but Gematria, Reish Shin Ayin is how much? Reish Shin Ayin. So Shin is 300, Reish, huh? 570. So he says, Hakeya Take out the number of Shin Nun Yud Vav from the word Russia. How much is Shin Nun Yud Vav? Take out. Shin is 300. Nun Yud is 60. Vav is 6. Take out 366 from the Gematria of Russia, which is 570. And what are you left with? You're left with Tzadik. You're left with Tzadik. He's biting himself. Hakeyes Shinov, ignore the bite. He's abased, abased. He's angry, he's depressed. Hakeyes Shinov, don't get so nostalgic from the teeth. Look over the sharp teeth. He's biting you, he's biting himself, he's biting his family. Take it away and you'll see a Tzadik. He's a Tzadik. He's depressed. He doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't think he amounts to anything. I saw a tzitkas tzaddik from Rav Tzaddik HaKoyen of Lublin. I once said it in a shir. I didn't know he says it. And then somebody said, this is liberal, open-minded, progressive psychology. You shouldn't say it. I was davening here upstairs the other day, and a yid came over to me with a tzitkas tzaddik, and he opens it up to Ois Kufnon Dalet. And Rav Tzaddik HaKoyen of Lublin's Chusa Yogan Aleinu writes, B'zeh from my memory, almost verbatim, a person must believe in Hashem, and if he believes in Hashem, he has to believe in himself. And he shouldn't think, he shouldn't think that he's an inconsequential, valueless creature who's here today and gone tomorrow, but he should understand the tainuk that the Rebbeinu Shalom has from him, the depth of his existence, and the value of his life. And he has to believe in himself, in his shivas, in his dignity, in the unconditional love that Hashem has to him, and the value that Hashem attributes to his avoidance. And he says, this is Pshat in the Pasuk, They believed in Hashem and they believed in Moshe. It's a little strange. When you believe in Hashem, you believe in Moshe. You believe in Hashem. Moshe, Moshe is the Eved Hashem. But to a munis, chas v'shalom. So he says, Rashi says in Chukas, Moshe who Yisrael, Yisrael hey Moshe. Shanosi hu akol. Moshe, when you say Moshe, it represents the Jewish people. Vayaminu b'ashem of Moshe Avdei means they believed in Hashem and they believed in Ayid. But Moshe Avdei, they believed in every Jew represented by Moshe. And he's mighty at length in this concept. So what, is, what he's saying is, Bavur zeh, Asa Hashem leave it Tzaysim in Mitzrayim. You take out the Shinayim, you give him a place in the Klal, you'll see Sananda Mensch. And that's why you say, Li Veloy Loy. Ilu Hoya Shomla Hoya Nigal. One second, he just asked you a question. Why don't you say, Li Veloy Loch? He's sitting at the Seder. Li Veloy Loch. Ilu Hoya Shomla Hoya Nigal. What you're telling him is something else. If he would have been there in Mitzrayim, and he would have said, I'm not interested in this clown, only a fifth left. If you didn't want to leave, you didn't have to leave. That's Shom. But now, after Matan Torah, 
after Atta Vechartonu Mikola Amim Ahavtai, son of Eratzisa Bonu, where every single Jew was Nifcha Bahashem, every Neshama Zechelek Alekame Maalmamesh, of course he's going to be Nigal. That's why you don't say, Leave Eloi Lach, Ilu Hayisa, you for sure. You're encouraging him. He's saying before Mat and Torah there was a Matzav but today there's no such a Metzias. You're part of the Klal. You're an essential part of Knesset Yisrael. You're an essential part of Hashem. We'll we'll love you and be here for you unconditionally. You can't even be mighty yourself from the Klal. Even if you want, we will never ever separate from you. But now, no way, there's no Gula without you. We now come to child number three. The Russia is depressed. He suffers from depression. The Tom, his issue is the opposite. He becomes arrogant. Tami Taichus complete, wholesome. Shailus Atamai Deat Mimus Shakadish Boruchu Nois in Asia or a Bechazdoi, Bodom Ladeis Nasus, Boimre Mazois. A person, Hashem gives a person Chesed and he gets light, he gets a Ha'or, he gets enlightened. And what does he start feeling? He feels arrogant. And he says, Mazois, take a look. Take a look at what I have. Take a look at what my what my success. But Sarich Leder Shurak Bechasadelian, Bizat Shuva Bechoizik Yad, Hoitsiyonu Hashem Mitzrayim, Beli Zachiyoyz Ha'adam. The Tam comes from an opposite approach. Not from a place of depression, but from a place of success. He says, Who even needs God? You work hard, you'll turn your life into a success story. You don't need Hashem. Spiritually too. He has spiritual success, he gets a ha'ore, a spiritual enlightenment, he has a psahatzloch in avoideh, and suddenly he forgets the feeling of being humble, of being simple, of being a lev nishbar. He becomes arrogant in his ruchnius. He walks around feeling that he's the mushlam, he's the other mashalam, he's the tam. In practical terminology, a bacha came to see me a little while ago, so he says these words, he says, so he tells me, he says, you know, our tribe, he calls the Jewish people the tribe, he says, our tribe, when there was no science, you had to believe in God, because how do you explain the universe? Sun comes up, the sun comes down. So you have to invent this concept called God in order to justify the universe. But he says now that we have science, God is irrelevant. Now you don't need God anymore because we understand everything. And therefore today to continue speaking about God is primitive. It means you don't know science. If you know science, you understand that you don't need God anymore. So this is a practical manifestation of this Tam, of this complete person. Of course, I explained to this boy the intellectual inconsistency of what he's saying because it's exactly the other way around. The more science you study, the more you get to see the grandiose miracle of every single component of the universe. The more you see the brilliant, infinite design, the structure 
that boggles, it's mind-staggering, that we never even knew in ancient times, the more we realize the depth that exists in one cell, the infinite depth in one cell, in one gene, the more you realize the wisdom of the body, how it knows to live the wisdom in a tree, the wisdom in a seed, the wisdom in an ant, the wisdom in an atom, which is incredible. If you ever needed God in order to explain, explain the universe, the more science you know, the more physics you appreciate, the more you're like, wow! Wow, where did this come from? So when the tam, when the person starts developing this sense of completion and arrogance, mazois! Look at this! Bechoyzik yod means, remember it's all a gift from above. Don't become arrogant with your spirituality. Don't become arrogant with your lambdas. Don't become arrogant with your avodas Hashem. Don't become arrogant with your money, with your success, with your hatzlacha. The Rebbeinu Shalom took you out without your initiative, without your participation. He wants you to do your part, but don't become arrogant in this world. That's the answer to the Tam. And then you have child number four. He's in a very bitter gallows. He doesn't know how to open his heart. You have to open his heart for him. What's this Vasem is saying? This is the fourth child. The first one is the intellectual. He says, I don't get this Judaism. Who needs Chukim? I don't understand. The second one is depressed and says, eh, life is worthless, meaningless. Let me just smoke up. The third one is the success story, the arrogant one. That's the Tam, the The fourth one comes to the Seder, he's there. You say, no, I just couldn't care less. I just couldn't care less. You want to ask something? No, I have nothing to ask. They say there was once a rabbi in a shul, after six months he resigned. So the board calls him in. They say, Reb, why did you resign? Was the pay not good? He says, the pay was good. Did we not respect you? Respected you. You don't like the shtende? I like the shtende. You don't like the seat in the show? I like the seat in the show. You don't like the silence during the drushes? I like this. So why did you resign? Because this is the first question in six months. Sometimes the worst thing is, yeah? You speak for two hours. Any questions? No. Really? That means there was nothing that triggered anything in anybody. I remember I once lectured somewhere. It was a long seminar. I spoke for three hours. The Ibrish Tazalai said, you're lucky you weren't there. <laughs> a youth comes over to me at the end, and he says, Rabbi Jacobson, your opening joke was guns good. I said, wow, that's an unbelievable compliment. Unbelievable compliment. The worst thing, no questions. I don't care. I don't care about chukim. You have kids who are angry. You have kids who are depressed. You have kids who are arrogant. You have kids who have questions, they're confused. And you have people who don't care. I don't care. I don't have questions. Knock yourself out. I don't care. At least when I'm angry, it means that something is, is affecting me, right? I hate you, I'm angry. I'm not angry. I don't care, I'm detached. They once asked a Jew, what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? So he said, I don't know and I don't care. (laughs) 
I don't care. Any daily soil. That's a different problem here. I have no questions. I have no tidutsim. I'm not an apikoidus. I'm not a you ask me to show up for dinner, I show up for dinner. I came for Thanksgiving, I'll come for Pesach. I have no issue. What happens now? And the Svasama says, this also exists in every person. In every person you have the moment, I just don't care. You know, sometimes, sometimes you're sitting at a shear and somebody's getting really excited. Like maybe about some chleis or bakiva eger or piskechuva or taz, and you could see somebody in the crowd is looking at him and like, "What? You're really excited about that?" And you know this person is passionate and he's like hollering and screaming, and uh, and and no one like no like, what are you getting so excited about? That's the shenia deal. I don't have shyness. You're fine. There's absolutely no relevance. And the Shvassama says, this is Golos Hamar, this is the bitter Golos. Because here, there's no achiza, there's no conversation. I don't hate you, I don't love you, I just, I don't care. It's complete, complete uh, apathy. No, so what's the Eitzah? <laughs> he says three words, At Psachloi. At Psachloi. What does At Psachloi mean? At Psachloi means, it's your responsibility to open his heart. At Meaning, there's no such a thing that he doesn't care. You didn't open his heart. At You didn't open his heart because you didn't open your heart. In other words, you have to ask yourself the question, am I speaking to him real MS? Or what he's hearing is maybe insecurity. Is he hearing truth or is he hearing anger? At Psachle, every person has a heart. And one has to find a way to open the heart. But you could open the heart. And here suddenly he puts the responsibility on the Mashpia. The other ones, he says, speak to him. Now, Shemir De'elisha, don't speak to him. He's not going to listen. Speak to yourself. At Psachloi, look deep into yourself and ask, what is the Yiddishkeit you're giving him? Because if the Yiddishkeit that you're giving him is real and deep, you'll open his heart. Because there's no person in the world, there's no Jewish soul in the world that is not looking for love, is not looking for meaning, is not looking for genuine relationships, is not looking for wholesomeness, is not on some level looking for truth, is not looking for healing, is not looking for simchas achayim, is not looking for menuchas hanefesh, is not looking for mashmo'us, for some oimek achayim. There's no such a thing. Elamai, he couldn't see it anywhere, he couldn't find it anywhere. So he has now a new defense mechanism, and the new defense mechanism is cynicism, carelessness, apathy, but it's a defense mechanism. At Psachloi, open up his heart, now it's your Achrayas. This is what we say in the Haggadah, Shegulas Mitzrayim Hoya, Bechol Dalad Mine Goliath, Bechlau, or Befratch and Nimtsebchinus Elu Bechalachad Mishrah. This is what we say, that Mitzrayim brought redemption in all the four gullies. Remember he started, that the Arba Bonim are connected, the Arba L'shoinah Shalgula, which are connected to four gullies. What's Pshat? So Jews were in four exiles, I think this is Pshat. Jews were in four exiles. Which one? The first one was Babylonia, Bavel. The second one was Persia. 
Persia defeated Babylonia, the story of Purim. Then was Greece, Malchus Yavan defeated Persia. And then there was Rome, Malchus Edom, which defeated ultimately the rule of the Hashmanayim and Eretz Yisrael and destroyed the second base Hamikdash. And this, that Golos continues Adayim, which is called Golos Edom, the fourth Golos. You have Bavel, you have Paras, you have Yavon, and you have Roimi. And it seems to me that the Svasemis is saying these are the four questions. Yavon was the empire that represented intellectualism, reason. Yavon produced the greatest philosophers, the Aristotles, the Socrates, the Platos, the greatest ideas of the philosophers in the ancient world all came from Yavon. Yavon was the seat of seichel, of reason, of philosophy, and that's why it had such an influence on the Jewish people. There was a reason that Jews became Hellenists, they became Misyavnim, because Yavon was not barbaric, Per se, Yavan had a lot of sophistication to it, a lot of chachma to it. That's the chachem. And what perturbed Yavan more than anything was the chukim. How do I know? Look in Alanisim. What does it say? Kshaamda Malchus Yavan Arasha, Lahashkicham Torah Secho, Laviram, That's what perturbed them. The fact that you have cultures, you eat chicken soup. Gesundheit. You want Knedlach, Gesundheit. You like Chalas, Ozein Chala. You want Dafka Chinese and Japanese food, because that's Jewish culture. So Ozein Chinese and Japanese. But what's the Chukei Ritzay Necha? That's the Chacham. Eim after Nachra Pesach Afikayma. Persia, the Gemara says in Megillah, you don't even have to learn the Gemara, you could just read the Megillah, Achashverosh was a party animal. Complete party. Who makes a party for 187 days straight? Woodstock wasn't even close to that. 187 days getting drunk. Our greatest, best teenagers. All the Hefke Jungen in the Welt don't make such a party. And this guy for 187 days doesn't stop. And every night he's drinking. How did he deal with his hangover? He got drunk again. <laughs> he didn't go to sleep. He got drunk again. When you're always drunk, you can't have a hangover. That's what I once heard from an alcoholic. I asked him, how don't you have a hangover? He said, when you're always drunk, you're not sober to have a hangover. It's a dover omuk. You have to be sober to have a hangover, right? They once said about a shamash in a certain shul that they couldn't fire him. Because he was never there to be able to be fired. To order to fire your employee, he has to show up at least once. If he never shows up, so there's no chalois of firing. So Achashverosh represents, the Gemara says in Megillah, that the parson, when we're servolin, the bossa kedoiv, compares them to a beer that hibernates for six months in its cave, enwrapped in its flesh. So Persia is the ultimate, the ultimate hululus, the ultimate frivolousness, the prikas oil, which ultimately comes from a sense of depression. Because my life doesn't mean anything, so why should I be productive? Why should I wake up in the morning? It doesn't mean anything, so why should I be responsible? Why should I be productive? Productive, constructive, destructive, it's all the same thing. And then you have the tam, the arrogance. This is, of course, Bavel. Bavel, the Tanakh describes, Daniel describes, Nebuchadnezzar was the epitome of arrogance. The Navi says, I'll be compared to God. Saddam Hussein, the dictator of Iraq, he had a throne that he called, the, he was, it was mimicking Nebuchadnezzar because he considered himself a Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar was the epitome of arrogance in the ancient world, Babylonia, Bavel. And this is the, the third Nisayan, the third question. And then the fourth is, he just says, Golos Hamar, Rome. The Maharal has a sefer called Neir Mitzvah, about Hanukkah. The Maharal there goes through all the Dalit Goliaths at length. That's where a lot of these Yisoydis are from. And the Maharal explains there that in each person, ah, Neir Mitzvah. What? Maharal? The Maharal in Neir Mitzvah discusses a lot, playing the Dalit Malchis. And he says, Roimi, this is Etzem Hara. In other words, there's a negativity that comes from reason. Negativity that comes from afkaris, negativity that comes from arrogance. And then he says sometimes a person just does bad to do bad. There's absolutely no reason for it. This he associates with Raimi. He says it was it was corrupt at its core. And this may be the fourth thing, the Golos Hamar Lishal, absolute carelessness. So of course we're talking here about Jewish children. And in each one there's a reflection of these four Goliaths, and the Chiddush of the Pesach HaGod is that they're all redeemed. That Jews were redeemed from Bavel, redeemed from Paras, redeemed from Yavan, and could be redeemed from Malchus Eden. There's Geul in each one of the four children. They're not stuck in any one of these four paradigms. Kenegadar Bonim, you could liberate the children. Vinikrayim Bonim, they're called Bonim. If it's in every person, why is it called Bonim? Shebe'emes nigmar habinyin ha'elu. Halalu b'leiv ha'adam. So it's quite fascinating. Ben is Miloshin binyan. The structure of a person becomes divne, it becomes built, it becomes complete. When he goes through these hakiras, when he goes through these dilemmas, these questions in his heart. When he goes through these chkiris, when he experiences the stage of Chachim, of Russia, of Tam Sheni Yedelishal, and he works through the Arba Bonim, that is Nigmar Habinyan. Meaning, don't think that you could just repress it and ignore it and make believe it doesn't exist. These are part of the human condition. And one has to acknowledge and appreciate that people have the question of a Chachim and a Russia and Tam Sheni Yedelishal. And when you have the schus to go out of it, to deal with it, to confront it, to transform it, to liberate yourself from it, then you have the Arba Bon, and then you have the Binyan Ashalom. I'll conclude with a Maisa they say about the Blazhev Rebbe, Zechetzadik Levrochi, he was in Bergen Belzen, Rabbi Stoll Spiro, he was in Bergen Belzen, his wife and children, Basiva Grishin, were slaughtered in the Holocaust, and there was a Machshava in Bergen Belzen, maybe, maybe they can obtain Matzah for Pesach. But how? How? There were Jews who had tefillin, but matzah for Pesach. The Blazhever Rebbe had an idea. There was a German, a Nazi, a commandant, as they called them, who from time to time would have short conversations with the Blazhever He was intrigued by what they called in German a Wunderrabiner, like a grand rabbi, a wonder rabbi, a wonder Rebbe. And he was intrigued by him. He would have some conversations with him. And once in a while, the Blazhevarov felt that he has a, a weak spot. He has a, a soft spot for him. So once, it was a little before Pesach, he started to converse with him. And he felt it was a Pesach. And he starts talking to him about the Jewish culture 
in the Jewish tradition that on Pesach eat matzah explains to him what it is. And he says, you know, it would be an unbelievable humanitarian thing if you would help me arrange, we should be able to get some matzah for Pesach. He tells him what he needs. He needs flour, he needs water, he needs a small oven that has fire. He needs to bake the fire, the, 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 he needs to knead the, the dough in the water, put it in the oven. What? He finishes speaking and uh, the commandant looks at him and uh, walks away. He thought maybe he overstepped his boundaries and he can go and tell his superiors and that would be the end of the Blozhevidov. He didn't know. But a few days later, the commandant one day calls him and he says, tonight, bring a few Jews together. He tells them where. And sure enough, he shows up, this little tiny oven, and he tells one of the Jews to carry a sack that had flour and he got them some water. They were so excited. In the middle of the night, they started to bake matzah. They needed a flour, and they, were, they baked matzah in the concentration camp of Bergen Bells. And the Blushevidov told the story. And then they put it away, and they were planning to continue the next night. The next night, in the middle of the baking, it was a tiny oven, so they could do one matzah at a time, not a lot. They see a German coming, so they want to stop it right away. And somebody says, No, it's the commandant. Commandant comes, but they see he's different. He's angry, doesn't say a word. He goes over to the oven with his boots. He smashes it. All the matzahs that are there are destroyed, and he goes away. Adaych is Adaych. They were left with a few matzahs from the first night that they had. A few matzahs. Came Erev Pesach. The question was, who's going to get the matzahs? To be to the mitzvah, you have to eat at least a kazayas matzah. At least a kazayas. Not many kazayasim here. A few people. So the Blue Javirov was thinking, and he said that he thinks that between the few adults that were involved in the matzah, they should split up the matzah. That was his decision. There was a woman who was there. And with her last koiches, she was very weak. She was on the ground in one of the barracks. She gave a scream and she said, Nain, binareinu biskeneinu, binareinu biskeneinu. So he goes over to her. What are you talking about? So she says, when, Mo- when Paroi told Moshe Rabbeinu, l'chuna ha-gvorim Hashem, let the adults go and leave Mitzrayim and serve Hashem. What did Moshe say? With our youth and then with our elders. With our children and then with our elders. The whole Chiddush of Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim was Paroi allowed the adults to go. The Chiddush of Moshe was First Binareinu, then Bizkeneinu. How are you going to deprive Binareinu for Matzah? You have to give the children the Matzah. The Blazer Vedov said... You're right. You're right. And he distributed much of the matzah to the children who were in the camp, even though halachically they're ketanim, they're not mechuyiv minatayra. Because she told them, if one day there's going to be liberation, it's these children are going to have to create it tomorrow. They need Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. This woman, whose name was Brunya, married the Blazhevirov after the war. 
she became the blush of a Rebetzin after the Holocaust Bezivuk Sheni. This is the Yisoid of Kenegad Arba Bonim Dibritayra. If I can't speak to my children, Binareinu Biskeneinu, and if I can't speak to every one of my children, and if I don't believe that there's a way to reach the heart of every one of my children, including each one of those children, the way they're in me, the inner child, then I haven't experienced the full beauty and majesty of what Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim is all about. Thank you very much. A good Tanakh, a good Chodesh, and a good Nyam Tov.